This is Nick Law, and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hotforward.beer is a podcast and website dedicated to the beer industry, supporting budding beer entrepreneurs by gaining insights from experienced brewers and folk within the craft beer industry. So grab a glass, pour yourself a beer, and let's get into this week's episode. Holy Schneiderweiss! New intro. How did you like that bad boy? What a way to kick off the Hot Four podcast. So, super interesting story about that. So, I've got a friend called Mark Stoney. He's a musician. He's been in the music industry for a long time. And I've known him for, gosh, he's probably going on about 14 years now. And I was around his studio um, a couple of months ago, actually, looking at doing some work for him, doing some design work in a website. And he played me a couple of tracks that he'd had synced to various adverts, one of which was um, a track for Mercedes, which got played during the Super Bowl. And then he played me this track, which he'd pitched to Budweiser, also for the Super Bowl. And it came down to the last two tracks. So his his was one of them, and there was another one. And they turned his song down because um, Budweiser said it sounded too much like, quote-unquote, craft beer. <laughs> oh, burn! So I heard it, and I was like, oh, man, I've got to get that track on my podcast. So I approached Mark and said, Mark, is there any way that you would license me that track? And he was like, sure, man. How about you do me a logo and I'll let you use that track? So that seemed like a fair deal. So I've been making him a very nice logo. He's let me use his Budweiser Rejects. And everybody's happy. I'm happy because I get a podcast jingle. Mark's happy because he gets a logo. And Budweiser are happy because they are... Hmm. Why are Budweiser happy? Yeah, taking over the world one craft brewery at a time. Anyway, uh, moving swiftly on. So I've been thinking about the Hot Four podcast. I mean, I've been doing this for nearly 30 weeks now. Like that's that's not an insurmountable number when you're doing it every week. I've busted some really late nights doing the podcast and I want to keep it really fresh for the listeners. And because I get a wide range of listeners, there's lots of people from the beer industry, but then there are also people just on the peripheries, whether it's people in business or I've even got friends that don't know anything about the beer industry and don't even drink beer that much that listen to it because they 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 like it and um so i kind of want to dig into some different subjects to cover all bases really and one of the things that i find fascinating is beer writing now i i love creative writing one of my goals for hot forward is to be doing a lot more beer writing on that website i've just been so slammed with works and setting it up that i've just not had a chance but that's that's kind of the goal to be doing that alongside podcasting and all the other sort of uh, aspects of, of my beer business um but people that do beer writing, I've just got the highest admiration for uh, people like Matthew Curtis, who obviously does Pellicle, um, Johnny Garrett, who's involved with Good Beer Hunting. And then you've got writers like uh, Pete Brown, who's just written some fantastic books. And I remember the first time I read Man Walks Into a Pub. If you've not read that book, then you totally need to read it. It's quite, it's quite, it's a few years old now, uh, but it's such a, it's such an eye opener to 
um, our pub culture and, and, and beer culture. And then Three Sheets to the Wind, which was a follow-up, is just equally as good about drinking culture across the world. And I was really keen to get a beer writer's perspective on what it's like covering the beer industry from a journalistic point of view, how they make a living from that, because it's hard making a living from creative work. And I thought it wouldn't be amazing if we could get Melissa Cole on the podcast. And after a lot of to and fro, finally, we managed to get a time and date that worked for both of us. So Melissa was at an event um, and she took half an hour to speak to me in the Hot 4 podcast about what it takes to be a beer writer. And I've just got to say massive shout out to Melissa because she's just great. Like, you know, I was really inspired just from talking to her and and everything. Um, You know, what, what a fantastic lady she is. So this week's episode is all about beer writing for you aspiring beer writers out there um, because I want to help you get ahead in your craft as a beer writer. So if you like the Hot Forward podcast, which if you're still listening after all this time, I'm guessing you do, uh, please leave a review for us on iTunes and Spotify or wherever else it is you're listening. Uh, It helps the podcast grow through ratings and algorithms and all that stuff. And let's face it, it feeds my ego as if that didn't need feeding already. Um, Follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and visit the website hotforward.beer and let's see what Hot Forward can do for you and your beer business so without further ado here is melissa cole talking all about beer writing today on the hot board podcast i'm joined by award-winning beer writer melissa cole hello 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 how are we doing i'm i'm all right it's my daughter's birthday today Oh, so, how old is she? She's nine. Oh, crazy! And our, adorable. And our house has just gone on the market. Ten years after oh. we moved in, so. Uh, oh crikey! I know it's all happening. <laughs> so yeah, that is incredibly busy times for you, buddy. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm managing managing to squeeze a podcast in with you because you, you sound like you're busy as well at an event. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. I'm I'm actually in um, uh, Dublin at the moment, so oh, uh, I'm I'm. Uh, Hanging, hanging out in the uh, Guinness Academy at the moment. They've just done. They've just put my face on a pint of Guinness. Oh, look at that! It's, you, I think. I mean, it's. I feel sorry for the pint of Guinness, obviously, but you know, <laughs> it's. Uh, no, it's, it's seriously. They actually. This isn't. This isn't just um, some sort of special treatment. They have this um, incredible machine. It's basically like a a Maltose-based um, inkjet printer, and they project. They project you. They do you. They do a selfie. So it's a so it's a beer version of a selfie. What onto the, and the, cre- they, uh, onto the creamy head? Onto onto the onto the creamy head. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's amazing. It's really cool. That's, I'm not going to awesome. lie. I I mean, I'm, God knows I'm a bugger for a gimmick, but <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, it's a gadget. A gadget is very cool. That's man, um, that makes me want to go there <laughs> even, <laughs> even more than I already do. That um, you can, you can, you, there's there's many criticisms you can level at uh, a lot of different multinational businesses, but in fairness, um, what these guys do as a background level, if you take away all the politics of, you know, holding up lines and having a monopoly for so long and all that sort of stuff, I mean that's you know that's 
stuff that that's a business decision but mm. on a on a society level on an entertainment level they do the most amazing things and um you go around the city and you realize that actually over the years what they've done is they've put in um you know social housing bath houses uh, rebuilt cathedrals. I always think that's a bit of a vanity project, but that's a by the by. Um, and uh, and then also at the moment they they have uh, you know for the, the, they've had an archivist here for I think so 13 years that she's uh, right. 18 13 or 18 years I can't remember. Um, and uh, and they do things like genealogy. So if you know that one of your um, relations worked for Guinness. What they'll do is they'll send you all of the, between X years and X years. Obviously, GDPR has changed the landscape somewhat. Yeah. Um, uh, but they'll send you all of their work records wow. and their employment records. But they're really detailed. So, for example, if they came there as a boy, started at 14, uh, then what they would find is that actually they'd know what their what their parents did for a living, what they would get as a, a their their passing grade to get out of school, uh, to come and work at the and they'll be they'll be like six out of ninety two in their class. Um, so it's not just like a, a a census. It's actually the most remarkable amount of information. It's really quite really quite interesting. And yet we worry about Facebook holding all our data. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I don't. I, yeah, this this is all obviously you know as people people who have passed away and, and all these things, and then and then sadly they're no longer allowed to do that. And I think it's really, I think it's one of the things that nobody's really thought about about GDPR. But that doesn't pertain to beer, so you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's one of the things that, that for an archivist, uh, for anybody who, uh, for a historian, GDPR is going to prove to be effectively a dark age. Yeah because you're not going to be able to allow to release anything, which could be of very interesting uh, socioeconomic, geopolitical interest, and you're not going to be able to get a hold of it. Gosh, we've definitely got a dystopian, anyway. a dystopian future ahead of us. But um, yes. on, on another tack, so I'm sure... Yeah, sorry about that. It's all right. Many, many of our listeners, I'm sure, will be familiar with you and your work. But for anybody who isn't, like, can you just give us a, a, a brief background, who you are and what you do? Um, oh, so, uh, beer writer, um... Uh, international beer judge of mystery that's <laughs> um, a great time yeah. it, it was a it was a long joke with a friend of mine who just didn't <laughs> believe that i actually managed to do this uh so yeah uh, yes yeah, so I, I i go all over the world judging beer competitions i write about beer um uh, one of the great things i've got to do as i've uh, got older is to help support mental people in the industry mm. and also set up things like the everyone welcome initiative um which is designed to uh, just to signify that there's a zero tolerance attitude to intolerance yes <laughs> we're well, intolerant I... we're intolerant to intolerance well, i was talking to <laughs> lily Waite um the other week uh on yeah. a podcast we just put out about all that so yeah she mentioned yeah so so we i mean we were we were uh, lily was instrumental it was not just me as i said i helped set it up yeah um it it was a bit of a genesis of an idea as as we were doing um a series of talks around the country um about just doing some forums around the country i didn't really know what was going to come out of it Mm. um and then there's basically about um an advisory committee which we probably need to formalize really but there was about nine eight or nine of us 
um, really, just going to everybody from Julie O'Grady from Ladies to Beer, Nikki Kong at Crown and Kettle, Lily, um, uh, Steph Shuttleworth, uh, just so many people who came together. Uh, John Keeling was involved as well. Right. Um, because we thought it was very important not to just have the um, have the moment where somebody's going to say, "Oh well, you know, you're all you're all women, or you're all transgender, or you're all gay, or you know, you're all mm. you're all from." Kind of, we thought it was really important that that actually there was also a voice from the more privileged end of the scale because yeah. if you don't if you don't engage at every level, I mean, whilst John is obviously you know deeply. Um, empathetic with a lot of things because if he wasn't, he wouldn't have uh, appointed George Young, sort of Georgina Young, um, as head brewer at Fuller's mm. before he left. I mean, unfortunately, she's moved on again now, but not unfortunately, because she's very happy down at Bath Ales. But um, it's one of those things where he where he had made a difference in what was a very difficult environment to make a difference, and to appoint a female head brewer was you know, rocking horseshit. Yeah, absolutely. So today I wanted to talk to you on the podcast about beer writing. Um, I, think it's a, I think it's a subject a lot of people are increasingly starting to think they want to get into, you know, writing about mm-hmm. food and drink, that is. Uh, and obviously through the power of the internet, it's easy for anyone to start. Um, but can, can you tell us, how did you get involved in beer writing in the first place? Well, I'm a trained, I'm a trained journalist. So uh, for what it's worth, for the piece of paper, I have a degree in journalism. Um, I, <laughs> rather ironically, uh, given my general um, reputation, I guess, as a staunch feminist, I actually nearly had it all beaten out of me right. at university mm. as, uh, by basically just being taught by a bunch of really seriously bitter old men. Um, so, and it was the weird thing was that I'd actually been doing journalism since I was 14. I'd sort of fought myself, fought my way into into uh, local newsrooms. I was doing some freelance stuff for the Slough and Windsor Express, and um, <laughs> I had my yeah, I had my I had my first front page at, at, at 15. Amazing! Um, I got a great scoop. It was a fairly grim story but uh it was about an attempted reduction of a child uh, from the local hospital and uh, so i got the scoop because it was a it was a colleague of my father's mm. and i got my first front page it was obviously co-written with another journalist as well i actually can't remember the guy's name but i can see him so clearly in my head because this is proper old school <laughs> <laughs> local journalism time he insisted on working still on a typewriter uh, smoking wasn't banned in all workplaces at that point, and he chain smoked with the fag ash falling into the typewriter, and it would billow around him as he was, oh my as he was furiously hammering away at the typewriter. I mean, he was an excellent hack. I mean, he was he was proper. If you imagine Hollywood casting a slightly seedy like small-time journalist, and mm. I mean that with all good, because he actually was a very good journalist. Um, he, was, he just chose, I assume, to work on a, on a local newspaper. 
I can kind of visualise him in my head as being the, like like the guy from um, Better Call Saul. Oh yeah, completely. You know, the, the, the spin-off from Breaking yeah, Bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he was he, he was quite ferrety. He <laughs> yeah. was quite. He was very sallow. He drank. Well, he he's, he had three-hour lunch breaks, and I think maybe that was why he, he maybe still in local journalism. But you know, it, it was it was a real it was a real learning curve, mm. and and that and being one of the well the last year of journalism uh, students who worked on uh, offset uh, sorry, cut and paste boards offset litho printing uh, there was we were still up until my final year we were still working with reel to reel when i specialized in broadcast we were still working on reel to reel tapes right right yeah. so my my mum who's a nurse uh, who worked as a nurse, she's now retired, she's still with me, thank God. Um, but uh, so she um, was really freaked out. She came home, I came home, um, and obviously, you know, you dump your washing on your mum and things like that, and she found a razor blade in one of my pockets. And so she sat down for a very serious talk about how I was feeling. And it's like, Mum, what the hell's wrong with you? It's like... Melissa, I found the razor blades. Can you show me your arms? Can you show me? Oh, mum, do you think I'm self-harming or thinking about suicide? I said, yeah. It's like, no, it's for splicing the reel-to-reel tape. So did you also find a roll of very slender yellow tape in there and possibly a white, weird, waxy pencil? Yes. So, okay. This is how it all works. (laughs) And she said, but I saw all the cuts on your finger. It's like, well, yes, because the problem is, is that you're using a razor blade to cut <laughs> the tape and you have to steady it. And eventually you always cut the inside of your finger. So, yeah, so that, that's there you go. That shows you how old I am. Wow, gosh. <laughs> so it's obviously it's, it's changed a lot since then. So, I mean, like, for, for anyone out there who's thinking of becoming, you know, they want to be an aspiring beer writer in today's day and age, um, typewriters and reel to reel aside, where, where should people start? I mean, I think it's a difficult, it's a difficult way to say that you're going to start doing something. I think that the problem is that if you want to be a writer, first thing you need to do is you need to hone your craft. So the first thing you need to do is read, yeah. read, 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 read. It's not about subsuming your own style into other people's styles. It's about actually understanding how to construct things. Yeah. So if you, it depends what, what sort of writer you want to be. If you want to be short, sharp, succinct, and that also goes for broadcast as well. If you want to be a short, sharp, succinct writer or broadcaster, what you very much need to learn how to do is to distill your message down into a short period of time without seeming snappy or barky or arrogant or stroppy. Mm. And that, and that's you need to learn how to charm, how to how to engage, how to grab people. So if you want to learn that, and I know there's going to be lots of people who are going to be screaming at their, at their computers, phones, radios, whatever they're listening through this to. Unfortunately, the best people in the world to do that are the tabloids. So whether it's the Daily Mail, the Sun, the Mirror, the Express, there's a reason why they they have a mass appeal, and it's because they're very, very good at what they do. Mm. They grab you. 
And I defy anybody to say honestly and really honestly look into your heart of hearts that you've never at least your fingers hovered over clicking the mouse when you see a headline from one of those institutions. Mm. What you think of them, how you feel about them politically, how you feel like they behave, whatever it is, you can't deny they're good at what they do. So it's look at that. Even if it's not necessarily giving them the clicks, you can see it. You can look at it. Yeah. The second thing is, is actually if you want to be more long form, if you want to understand more about how to go in depth on something, then you listen to the BBC, you listen to uh, Channel 4. They're the, two, they're the two outlets that do it best. And then if you want to look at people who have had the ability to grab people in an online environment, you go and look at HuffPost, BuzzFeed, and I'm talking about mass media here mm. in, for what you can call mass media. And then you go and also look at things like Good Beer Hunting. Yeah, I mean, they're great, those guys. And they are, they are really, really, they've really, really captured what they do. Um, again, there's lots of people who will throw the, oh, there's a crossover, there's this, there's that. Long and short is uh, there is no money in journalism anymore. So in reality, you have to be fairly one of two or three in your generation at this point in time to work in such a niche industry. And that's really, I mean, it's disappointing, it's exhausting, it's frustrating, but it is what it is. Yeah. So how does somebody like yourself then sort of make a living through their creative work? Because I think when, when you're younger... Um, in particular, you've got this idealised view of what a creative job looks like. Um, I mean, mm -hmm. I, I grew up as a musician um, mm -hmm. in, in the 80s and 90s. So, um, you know, the, the internet sort of came into being sort of when I was about 16, 17. Um, you know, so it was, I, I experienced it all before and then yeah. kind of experienced what it's like now. And, you, you, you know, I used to have this mindset of, oh, I'll just make some really cool music and art or whatever. And, and, I'll, I'll be doing that all day and because I'm so good, you know, the exposure, the opportunities and the income will just, it'll just fall into my lap. But obviously that's yeah. not the case. And if, if anyone out there is listening to me right now and thinks that is the case and you, you've got some, <laughs> got some work to do. Um, again, again, you have to, you have to be, you have to be one in a million in your generation. I'm not one in a million in my generation. Mm. I don't. I don't make all my writing off of, all my money off of beer writing. In fact, I don't know any beer writer who does, mm. um, because we all do other things on top. So, events, food festivals, uh, consultancy, yeah, um, all all play a role. Uh, what I do when I do consultancy or I enter into, say, for example, um, food festivals where I have pay to play beers i'm a very transparent with my audience b i also say to the beers that are involved there's an element of um there's an element of transparency about it there's an element of also i will say to any 
brewery who I'm involved in, in the, in the time that we're in a financial um, agreement and we're in a financial relationship, I'm sorry, but, but I don't write about you. Yeah. Because that for me is a level of journalistic ethics that I will not cross over. Mm. So I think there's the, the, the issue is uh, in some cases where you don't have people who have either trained in, in journalism or or they don't they don't necessarily understand the potential ramifications for a lack of trust and i think that's where good beer hunting did a good job yeah where they've always been very very clear about the fact that they've got a relationship with guinness for example they do some stuff for um ZX Adventures, uh, sorry, ZX Ventures, which is uh, the um, investment, uh, sorry, the the blue sky thinking, I think they call it arm of ABI, um, and so they don't they don't hesitate to say that yes, we do that, but we keep our editorial separate, and they also say, you know, we also will tell you what we do and when we mention it in a, if we mention a brand that we work with in an article, then we will actually also put a little caveat in the middle of the article saying, just let you know, we do work with these parts on our other arm. Yep. I think that's really important. I think transparency is absolutely key. So as I, if on the odd occasion where, for example, collaboration beer, now I don't earn any money out of the collaboration beers that I do. I do it as basically my version of CPD. So continuous professional development mm. is the amount that you learn by going to brew. And if you really want to write about beer, go and brew. Yeah. It will make you by far and away a far, far better beer writer. Understand or homebrew. If you don't if you don't feel comfortable having that financial connection, then go and start homebrewing. Because I just I, I look at I look at, at some writing from people who have never been involved in the brewing process, who have never actually got their hands dirty. And I very frequently see a disconnect in... They're really good writers who happen to have an interest in beer. Mm-hmm. They're not good beer writers. Yeah. That makes sense. And it's not to say that, you know, that that's not... It's not say so that actually that doesn't have validity. It does. I just I just feel like that, that that there's a there's a moment where if you don't have that absolute immersiveness about what you're doing, if you really want to make this job yours, if you really believe in it, if you really believe in the community, if you believe in in the product, if you believe that beer is such an important part of society then if you haven't at least gone and done a brew day once, I, 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 don't, I don't understand you. And, and again, that could be a total failure. I mean, that could be total myopia on my behalf. But I really feel that that is something very important mm. where you understand that actually if you spend a day in a brewery, you realise that it's 90% cleaning, all hurry up and wait. You have to do paperwork in the middle of it. It's knackering. Yep. <laughs> when things go wrong, it means you have a 14... It, when, when things go wrong, you have a 14-hour day, if you're lucky. 
Um, or if you're unlucky, you have to dump the whole damn thing and you have to start again tomorrow. And then you have to tell customers it's gone wrong. And then, you know, it's, it's a, there's a, the people's rose into glasses about brewing in the same way about writing about beer. And so it just don't, don't really think about the graft that's involved. Mm, you've just described everything I've been through and then some. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, yeah you, you're totally right. Which is, like I said to you before we start recording, which is why I started this podcast. I'm kind of like, if, if I'm, I'm sure there are lots of homebrewers out there looking at Instagram being like, oh, it looks so cool. Look, yeah. look at the beards. Look at the hops. I want to do that for a living. It would be amazing. It's just like, yeah. I'm, I, you know, my wife, when I used to get home on a Monday, mm. kind of covered in like yeast splatterings, sweaty as, mm. just kind of like, I want mm-hmm. to, at seven o'clock, I'm like, I want to go to bed now. <laughs> mm-hmm. And that was that was just the cleaning and transfer yeah, day. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, and particularly in winter as well, because oh, there's horrendous. nothing worse than going yeah. from a super cold environment where you have just done a load of physical work and you're cold, 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 and you've you're generally not hydrated. One of the big problems, is particularly when it's cold is you don't hydrate enough because you're just thinking, God, I don't want to go to the bathroom because it means I have to take some layers off and let the cold in. And, <laughs> and so I'm barely going to drink anything. And I'm just, I just want to get, I just want to get home. I just want to go and have something. And then when you go home, because it's the winter, you just think, I really want to eat everything. And then you eat everything. And then before you know it, there's somebody poking you in the ribs and going, yeah, my day was fine. That's. <laughs> and that's... You know, that's a that's an issue. I also have a genetic predisposition on that point as well, because my dad and I, if we go out fishing in winter, we'll both come home and and and, and I'll go back to mum and dad, so we'll be sitting there, and my mum will just look at the pair of us and just go, God, you two. And we'll be like, what, what? Like, I've just watched you both fall asleep for, like, 30 seconds. <laughs> You've both fallen asleep for 30 seconds in exactly the same way. You've got your arms crossed, you nod off, and then you, you kind of come back reinvigorated for the next half an hour before you have your, your next 10, 15-second power nap. Because <laughs> <Love laughs> it. you've gone from the warm to the cold, and, and it just it does. It makes, and you're tired because you've been out all day and you've been marching up and down the river and oh, shouting yeah. at fish. <laughs> so talk us through the process of writing articles and stuff for publications, like right from the initial idea... Like, you know, how you get those ideas and then to pitching it to somewhere and then delivering that article and then and then ultimately getting paid for it. Like, how does it all work? Yeah, getting paid is the most difficult bit. Um, yeah, I mean, first, right, OK, getting paid. Getting, getting paid, the things that you need to do, which I'm terrible at, so do as, do as I say, don't do as I do, <laughs> um, is set your terms and conditions. Talk to about terms and conditions up front put on the bottom of your invoice I am legally as a sole trader required to be paid within 14 days I will charge interest after that mm-hmm. unless you are signing a contract that says otherwise that is where you're at and give somebody a buy once give somebody a warning second time third time charge them the interest yeah it's as simple as that you just can't you can't sustain it um on the actual writing side um there are certain things that that hold true so when you're writing a story 
who, what, where, when, why, how. They are your absolute bedrocks. Doesn't have to be in that order. But who, what, where, when, why, how are the things that you should write at the top of every single piece of paper or computer-generated page you should ever have until it becomes embedded in you. Mm. Uh, secondly, find the story. Don't bury the story. So it's one of the things I see a lot on press releases, for example. It's like they bury the story five paragraphs down. It's like, that's the interesting bit. Find the bit that would actually catch you in. Find the bit that, that says actually, oh, and by the way, this brewery was started 250 years ago. Well, if that brewery was started 250 years ago, what's made it survive? So potentially it's that it is a community brewery, let's say, just for example. So it's a community-owned brewery or it's an employee-owned brewery or it has the most amazing artesian well or it, it has a, a covenant on the building or it has a completely unique yeast, it has a malting. So, so you know, find, find, the, find the crux of the story. Find the thing that, that people didn't know. So, I don't know, for example... I would say that one of the, you know, one of the interesting things that people don't hear about about Beavertown. So everybody focuses on Logan being Robert Plant's son. Yeah. It's like, no, it's Robert Plant's son, it's Robert Plant's son. What interested me the most is that when Logan made neck oil for the first time, all he was trying to do was copy Bathens. All he wanted was a pint of Bathens in his own house. Mm. So, yes, I mean, that's, that's not what the mass media is going to focus on without sounding like some sort of weird conspiracy right being nuts. Um, it's not what the average the average journalist is going to focus on. They're going to focus on this guy being a huge success, Robert Plant's son, da da da. But what fascinates me is that his and, and in fairness, his original cask neck oil, which bears no resemblance to the current neck oil, was stunning. Mm. It was absolutely stunning. It was a beautiful, beautiful cask beer. I went to Duke's and I live right on the other side of town. I made a point of going to Duke's to drink that whenever I was in the area. So it was it was stunning. So there's a there's a point where you actually say, who's my audience? And that's that's a that's another big one. Mm. Who's my audience? So if you are the Daily Telegraph or the Huffington Post or BuzzFeed. You focus on the fact that this guy is Robert Plant's son because whilst that, in my mind, diminishes Logan's achievements, it is also, however, the hook that the public want. If you are in the beer world, then people who know beer will 
almost certainly know Bazin's and know what an astonishing pint it is, or at least have heard of how iconic it is. Yeah. So start there. Because if you start with he's Robert Plant's son, then every beer nerd's going to turn off and just go, I knew that anyway. And, you know, what the hell's that got? There's nothing new there, Sunshine. That's been repeat. That's been repeatedly reported for the last five years. Find your hook. Find your in. That's the important bit. And with apologies, Logan. It's a very generic example to use, but it's. A, I think it's a particularly prescient one, because there's a very there's a very important part of actually who you're aiming at. What that's the most important bit is, is that where is your audience? aim it at that mm. so let's say there's a beer writer or potential beer writer listening to this and they, they, yeah. they, they've kind of followed those steps and sort of golden rules as it were and then they're kind of like i really want this to be in the next issue of um pedicle or mm-hmm. um, good beer hunting or the Bruce journal or original gravity magazine like what what do they do mm-hmm. how did how did how does that work well i think you need to understand your um where you're pitching it to so you need to most of these um most of these publications have guidelines so first and foremost look on the website for the pitching guidelines then if they don't have a pitching guideline go and find pitching guidelines from other uh, other publications if you can't find anything that really speaks to you do ask people like me. We're not ogres. We know that, that you know, we, we know that we're gonna have a somewhat rapidly diminishing space in the number of years. We're not we're not horrible people. Um, you know, I mean I hate I hate saying things like this, but so um so things like say Matt Curtis, for example. Uh, Matt and I talked a lot when he was blogging and coming through and, and doing photography. And now, as it goes, I'm writing for him. So, you know, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't necessarily diminish your space mm. to ask other people for advice. And actually, to be honest, anybody who's an asshole to you about it, watch them. Because also then look at their writing in a different light. If they dismiss you, if they tell you they haven't got time for you or... Why would I give my competition information? That's a worry. That's a that's a worry. Yeah. Because to be honest, I I don't see that as at any point the way that you, particularly established journalists, say that you've got to worry about them at that point because that's not right. Mm. Because you you've got your own style at that point. You've got your own niche. Um, mine has a tendency to either be op-eds, the obvious quality stuff that I do, yeah. or beer and food. And then I do have a lot of other stuff to offer. And when I get around to writing pitches, and but I, I then do them in a very detailed fashion. Um, if I'm writing about the things that I'm known for, I just kind of fling a couple of lines and, and, and I'm lucky enough to be able to be trusted mm. that that's okay. And they're going to, they're going to bring that through. So it's kind of a, it's a bit of a double edged sword at times because 
I'm quite often excluded from business heavy articles. So you've got to you've got to be very careful how you position yourself. If you want to be an every person, then you have to make sure that you write a range of things. If you really just want to focus on taste and flavour, then write about that and make yourself good at that. But be aware that that's going to be an incredibly difficult arena to earn any money out of. Yeah. Um, in fact, just find a, find a way to earn money outside of beer writing, really. And do it, do it as a hobby. No, 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 don't do it as a hobby. Um, make, make sure you find other ways. So I, as I said, I do consultancy, I do events, I do talks, I do presentations, I do, do all sorts of different things. I always come back to the core of my journalism, journalism and particularly the ethics part of it. I never... I never not sleep at night, mm. if you'll pardon, pardon me, a terrible tautology there. I, I, it's not, if I'm not sleeping, it's not because I'm worried about how I've acted on a professional level. If I'm not sleeping, it's because I've actually got too much going through my mind and too many ideas. Yeah. And that's a, that's a very different thing. So if you, can't, if you can't put your head on your pillow at night and say... I'm doing right by the wider community of, of, of that which I've, I've decided to earn money off of. And then you need to question how you're behaving. Mm. If you're okay with everything, then cool. I think that kind of leads into my last question because obviously I, I know you're an event and a limited, limited time. And, <laughs> um, one of the things that initially stopped me starting this podcast um, mm-hmm. was this, this thing of what will other people think? Like, will I get shouted down? Will people call me a fraud or say my opinion's wrong? And I'm mm-hmm. sure there are some potential budding writers out there who are super creative and, um, you know, know a lot about um, beer culture and the industry, but perhaps, mm. perhaps lack that confidence in their own voice because social media can be a really ugly place. You know, you're getting uh, people... Imposter syndrome. Exactly. You get people throwing rocks from a distance in the dark and it can be really daunting putting yourself out there. Um, yeah. What final sort of last question? What encouragement would you give to people like that? What would you say to some, someone like me a year ago, before I got over myself and just was like, I'm just going to do it anyway? Fuck them. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Two words. <laughs> no, seriously, <laughs> fuck them. Fuck them. Because I tell you what, nobody, nobody has right, right. Unless you are being an intolerant prick. That is my only. That is my only line with anybody. If you're being racist, homophobic, sexist, transphobic, misogynist, I, I don't. I don't care. If you, if you literally are not of a live and let live mindset, then you can get to fuck. Mm. Because actually, you are doing the world's oldest and most sociable beverage an absolute disservice by even attempting to be in the community. Yeah. Other than that, go for it. I will, I, I may disagree with you. I may disagree with what you say. I mean, but don't, don't be an asshole. You know, don't be a dick. It's a really simple mantra to live by. Don't be a dick. And, and engage with people. And I think there's a, there's a couple of writers in the last few years who have, 
who have been really badly misled by the uh, normally the publications they work for because the publications are scrambling for relevancy mm. and then they're paid by clicks and they're paid by they're paid by you know click throughs and they're paid by this so because obviously then that's an advertising revenue thing yeah and that's what they've been incentivized by as opposed to actually make it as opposed to writing well and doing good journalism and that's actually put quite often it's put a lot of these writers who are in that space and i can think of at least three of them who have actually it's put them in really bad space on a mental health level mm. and that's a really really awful thing to contemplate so i think i'm I'm lucky that I, at a very young age, was working in the really old school newsroom environment and it was super tough and there were people who threw things at your head and all that sort of stuff. And I do not, I do not, I do not um, endorse that level of behaviour in any way, shape or form. I think it's awful and I'm pleased that we've mostly seen the back of it. But there is a certain thick skin that it that it makes you grow, and there's also a, a point of actually, it's uh, as the beer industry has come of age in in the UK. Actually, I'm you know I'm in my early forties now, so I'm I'm relatively immune to a lot of the, the brickbats that are thrown at me, and also I'm kind of quick enough to deal with the majority of people who come at me. Mm. But I can understand if you've grown up in this kind of spotlight of social media, you do need a certain level of mental toughness. And sometimes, actually, the mental toughness is saying, I will take a break. I will step away from this. I will not live my validation through a public lens. And it's it's very much like, and I I think I equated, I I sort of suddenly hit on something that I've really been thinking about for a while. It's a bit like everybody's a miniature child star. Everybody's a little bit of a miniature Shirley Temple or <laughs> Judy Garland or Liza Minnelli, kind of. Everybody's grown up in that in, in, in a spotlight of sorts. Mm. And I think there needs to be an understanding of the very fact that actually you do have control over that. You do choose to be in that environment and you very much can step away from it. And you are not measured by your social media presence. That is not the measure of a human being. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Funnily enough, I, I did a interview with Paul Jones from Cloudwater recently on mental health, and he was sharing how with the Friends Family and Beer Festival, how when it came to like about the license thing, the first mm. thought that ran through his head was what kind of beat am I, am I going to get on social media about this? And I was just like, if that's the kind of thing we think in this day and age, you know, the first thought that pops into our head, who's, who's going to give me a beating on social, on media. social media? It's just what a crazy age we live in. Yeah, I mean, there is, there is, there, I mean, the, the thoughts I have on that, and it's not specific to cloud washing or specific to that event, and I've actually written about this very publicly, is uh, there is a certain element, and again, this goes back to talking to people who want to come into things, is that there's a certain element, and it's a generation, you know, and, and I am now 
Mm, why? I'm, I'm, I'm 43, so therefore a generation is classed as 25 years, I believe, I think. Yeah. A generation is technically classed as 25 years. So now, if somebody's 18, I'm now a whole generation ahead of them, mm. which is deeply depressing in many ways. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it's, it, it's actually the fact that, that a lot of um, people think that the generation before them don't know shit. Mm. So you kind of have this moment where you have to say, and I think that's where I've been extremely lucky in a lot of ways because I've chosen not to have children in concert with my husband. Um, we've chosen not to have children. We've chosen to enjoy our own lives without children. And um, I think there's an aspect where I can be a little bit more sociable than a lot of other people of sort of my my beer writing generation. Yeah. And so I think a lot of the time I can be there in a way that, that they can't. Mm. And you sometimes hear people like slagging off other beer writers because they're not down the pub or they're not doing this, they're not doing that. And I think there's a there's a real need to understand that at some point or another, if you choose to have family, if you choose to have children, you have to understand that's going to curtail your ability to be out and about and do all these sorts of things all the time. So there's a lack of unsex. You can never you can never imagine being your parent. You can never imagine being that person. You can never imagine being two point four children mm. or settling down in the burbs and all that sort of stuff. And I think there's a there's a real need and, and a real understanding. And it's and again, I'll go back to Matt Curtis as an an example of somebody who who reached out to not just myself, people like Pete Brown, Adrian yeah. Tina Jones, Tim Hampson. And he really early doors said, I, this is really what I want to do. Will you help me? And it's a really hard thing to do. And there is going to be times like, well, I mean, I've rescheduled this podcast, this interview with you three times. And I'm sorry, that's, <laughs> that sucks. But, you know, life, life, is, life is life. And, 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 and unfortunately, I'm, I, I am daftly busy. But it doesn't mean that I don't want to. And, and, and you need to understand that. When people say, I'm really sorry, I can't, I'm so sorry, or I'm so sorry, I have to rearrange that, that's not a rejection. And you need to keep on putting your courage to the sticking point to keep on saying, without being aggressive, without being aggy, without just saying, are you sure? Or just say, tell me now if it's too inconvenient or you don't want to. I'm not being rude, I'm not being stroppy. I just, I want to do this, but if it's going to be too much trouble for you, then please don't worry on my behalf. Mm. And because actually nobody owes you anything. The world doesn't owe you a living. Nobody owes you their time. But most of the good people will, will give you it. And with joy and... <laughs> stuff <laughs> yeah no no, no it's, it's, it's more i was i was going to say something a bit a bit soppy and then i stopped myself but actually no, i'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna say it. It, it's funny because somebody said you know you don't have children you don't have this stuff. i was like well actually funny enough i feel like i do in the beer industry mm. and i don't i don't i'm really not maternal um uh, i love my niece and nephew to the ends of the earth but I don't, I've never wanted children myself, but I, I do feel a certain 
maternal warmth to people who have gone on to succeed in the beer industry. Um, I feel lots of warmth to, for example, Anne's Patch and Hob Day because they were at my first book launch with their beer that they thought they might be able to launch a brewery off of. I tried it. I thought it was phenomenal. Oz Clark tried it. He sang their praises. He went on to write about them when they just opened, before they'd even opened because he thought they'd opened because the beer was so good. Um, and you know, it just, you know, I feel certain, you know, mother hen cried about certain things. And actually, if you do take time and you do build relationships and you do do the good stuff, the give back stuff, the stuff like the Everyone Welcome, Welcome Initiative, mm. you go and support. So I support new festivals for travel and accommodation um, where I can and things like that. If you can do little things like that, it means the world to people and it puts, it then allows you to put people on their radar and all sorts of different things like that. So you have to build in the business side, but you also have to build the community side if you really genuinely feel that this is what's for you because that's what the beer industry is. It is a community. Mm. I know there's lots of cynicism. No, not all beer people are good people, but I tell you what, I have written in other industries. I spent a few years, I spent, I don't know, two years maybe in PR. Um, I tell you what, you can criticise this industry all you like, but I've never worked in a better one. Yeah, well, me neither. <laughs> I love it. So, yeah. brilliant. Well, Melissa, thank, thank you so much for your time. Re really wise words, and it's been amazing talking to you. Just finally, how can people, if they want to read more of your stuff, find out more about you? Uh, to be honest, the easiest thing is follow me on social media as long as you can cope with swearing and feminism. There you go. <laughs> so it's it's at, at Melissa Cole on Twitter and it's at Melissa Cole on beer, Melissa Cole beer on Facebook and Instagram. Amazing, brilliant. Thank you, Melissa Cole. No, thanks, Nick. Thanks for tuning in to the Hot Four podcast this week. Don't forget, we're here to help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. So hit the subscribe button for more insights into the beer industry. Connect with us at hotforward.beer or through our social media channels at hotforwardbeers. Until next time, cheers. Right, so